welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. So this morning we're going to be looking at the character of Esther. Sometimes we can see a small part of something and it gives us a picture of a much bigger part. And this morning we're going to be looking at Esther. Now it's only 10 chapters long, so it's quite a small percentage of the Bible. But that small story shows us a much bigger picture uh, in the Bible. It actually gives us the... um, it shows us the, God's eternal rescue plan. Now, I do believe in teaching, the, teaching children the Bible, obviously. But the problem with the Old Testament is that a lot of it, if you were to make it into a film, is 18 rated. Okay? It can be pretty graphic, pretty horrible. And so I have tried this morning to get it down to at least a PG. Okay? So hopefully it'll be okay. But there are some difficult subjects in this story. Now, we've got four characters in our story this morning, and the four characters are represented in these boxes. And inside each box is some things that will help us to tell the story. And at various points, people are going to come out and help me out. Right, I need my two helpers, my two really willing volunteers. <laughs> right, if you hold that end for me, and you hold this end... Oh. There we go. Right. So, Esther, oh, oh, come on, gotta hold it straighter. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so Esther's story happens here. Okay, so it's 400, roughly 470 years before Jesus was born. But it's after the Jews have been exiled. So the Jews were God's chosen people. They had their own land. They'd been promised this land by God and they were living in it. Along came the Babylonians. They decided they wanted the land that the Jews were living in. And so they took it off them and they made them all go and live in Babylon. Now, the Babylonians were pretty mean to the Jews. But then along came a much bigger force called the Persians. And they took over from the Babylonians and they crushed crushed the Babylonians And this means that the Jews were then living in exile under a Persian king. Now, where's my Persian king? So here we go. So here's my Persian king, Xerxes. Okay. Thank you, boys. That's great. Lovely. Okay. You do need to stand. Should we move this forward? So our story starts with King Xerxes, like I say, about 470 years before Jesus. Now, King Xerxes was a rich and powerful man. Small crowd. I'm afraid most of my pops are made for children. Okay. Now, King Xerxes, he loved to show off how powerful he was by throwing lavish parties. Lavish parties. Now, these parties, they lasted for weeks. 
They went on for ages. There was loads of feasting. There was loads of drinking. There was no expense spared. Now, this particular party had been going off for seven days, and the king decided that he wanted to show off his queen. So he said to his queen, you need to come, and I want you to parade in front of all of my, of all of my men and show off how beautiful she was. And she was very beautiful. But when the king called her, she refused. This made the king very angry, even, even more angry than he looks at the moment. But not only did it make the king angry, steady on, steady on, it also made the councillors and the noblemen around him angry too. And they said to the king, look, if the queen treats you like this, then all the women in the kingdom are going to disrespect their husbands and they're, gonna do, they're just not going to do what we say. It's going to be absolute chaos. And we can't allow that to happen. So therefore, the king declared that the queen was no longer his queen. And well, now he needed a new queen. Now, if you are an all-powerful king, what better way to find a new queen for yourself than to parade all the beautiful women in the whole of the kingdom through your palace? So that's exactly what King Xerxes did. He got all the beautiful women to parade through the palace. Now, among those women was a young girl called Esther. <laughs> okay. Now, Esther was secretly a Jew, but she was also an orphan. She'd lost her mum and dad, and she'd been raised and brought up by her older cousin, Mordecai. Although Esther was the lowest social classes, remember she's an exile and she's an orphan, the Lord was with Esther and she was beautiful and graceful. <laughs> when Esther was brought into the palace, she found favour among all of those staff in the palace, so much so that they gave her lavish beauty treatments. Have a look for your lavish beauty treatments. And they spent months and months making her beautiful. Beautiful jewels, makeup. Eventually, she, and ultimately, she found favour with the king. <laughs> and he made her his new queen. Now, some time later... Esther's cousin, Mordecai, was at the city gates. And he was trying to learn news about his, his, uh, his cousin. As he was sat at the city gates one day, he heard two men there plotting to kill the king. Mordecai, he quickly relayed this message about the king to Esther. And Esther promptly told the king what was going to happen. The king took no time in solving the problem. The two men were never seen again. 
Mordecai saved the king's life, he was never recognized for it. But instead, he recorded it in a special book called the Book of Records. Not a very exciting name, but there we go. Now, sometime later, Mordecai found himself in a spot of trouble with a man named Haman. Now, Haman had risen to come to be the second most powerful man in the land. He was second in command to the king. Whenever Haman walked through the streets, everyone was ordered to bow down before him. Come on, Haman. But Mordecai, being a Jew and being a follower of God, refused to. Hey, steady on. When Haman found out, he was enraged. He was so cross. He was so cross that he not only plotted to kill Mordecai, but also every single Jew in the entire empire. By Haman's influence, the king sent out a decree. This decree ordered that all the Jews be executed and all their property and land taken from them. Now, when Mordecai found out about this, he pleaded with Esther. He said, Esther, will you approach the king and ask him to change his mind? Esther knew that if she was to approach the king without being summoned, well, she could be put to death. Esther was confused, and she pleaded with Mordecai to get all the Jews to pray and to fast for them. Mordecai pleaded again with Esther, telling her that maybe... (laughs) Maybe there was a reason that she'd become queen at this particular time. Esther decided to approach the king, even if it meant that she would lose her own life. When the king saw her standing before him, he loved her. And he held out his golden scepter to her, allowing her to speak. You haven't got one. Brian didn't bring it. What do you want? The king asked her. Esther requested that the king and Haman came for a feast the following day that she would prepare for them. The king and Haman were delighted with the feast. The king and Haman were delighted and together they feasted. Towards the end of the meal... Towards the end of the meal, the king asked, could you, could you eat a bit neater? <laughs> Towards the end of the meal, the king asked Esther, what is it that she wished for? And Esther replied, if it pleases the king, then will you and Haman come for a second feast the following day? Not yet, not yet, not yet. A following day. And that she would answer the king's question. 
Haman left the palace that day happy. But on the way home, he encountered Mordecai. And he was reminded of his refusal to bow down to him. Haman's mood became black. And he decided that Mordecai had to go. He had to be got rid of once and for all. But Haman decided... But Haman decided that getting rid of Mordecai, well, it could wait till tomorrow. He was in no rush. That night, the king couldn't sleep. So he ordered the book of records to be brought to him. It really was a very boring book and would put anybody to sleep. When the account of Mordecai saving the king was read out, he asked the people there, he said, how has this man been honoured for what he's done? And the people there said, well, nothing's been done for him. He hasn't been honoured at all. The following morning, Haman arrived to see the king. And he asked Haman, he said, what should I do for a man to show that I want him to be honoured? Haman, thinking that he was talking about himself, said, well, well, you should give him fine robes. You should allow him to ride your horse and put a crown on his head. King went, fantastic. That is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to go and do that exact thing for Mordecai. Haman was not pleased about this. But because the king had ordered it, he had no choice but to do it. He went along, he gave Mordecai the king's robes. (laughs) He gave him his crown. And he led his horse through the streets, showing people that Mordecai was to be honoured. Not long after that, Haman and the king were summoned to Esther's second feast. And again they ate and they drank and they were having a great time until the king asked Esther, He said, what is it, Esther, that you desire? What is it that you wish? And Esther replied, if it pleases the king. (laughs) (laughs) All that I ask for is that my life and the life of my people be spared. For I am a Jew. And it has been decreed that all Jews in the empire should be killed. The king was furious. He was even more furious than the previous time. (laughs) He said, who would do such a thing to my queen? Esther looked at the king and said, it's Haman. Not only that, but he has a plot to kill Mordecai this very day. And he saved your life not that long ago. The king promptly solved the problem of Haman. A new decree was issued. And this time, the decree saved the lives of the Jews. Esther and Mordecai were honoured and they spent many years living and serving in the king's palace. Shall we give our volunteers a round of applause? Thank you very much.
Wow, what a story. Um, I would suggest that you go and read the original version in the Bible, because you might find there's a few more details there and see what bits I got wrong. Um, But there we go. As I was reading that story to prepare, there were four things that jumped out to me. And the first thing was this, that God is in control. Now, I think if I'd been Esther, there are times I would have questioned this. She, uh, she went through the death of her parents. She was removed from a, what hopefully was a secure home with Mordecai and entered into this bizarre um, beauty competition. And then she didn't choose to marry King Xerxes. She was probably forced to marry him, who was a very prideful king. And yet... God is in control. All through those experiences Esther has, he was positioning her to exactly where he wanted her so that she could play a bigger part in his plan. Now maybe, well I know for myself, there are times when I literally shout at God, why? Why am I here? Why have you done this? What am I supposed to do? But God is in control. And he is working out his will for our lives. So my first question is, how or where is God trying to position us at the moment? See, all my helpers have gone now. That's that bit. So the next thing is that God's timing is perfect. Haman, the baddie in our story, goes to great lengths to come up with this master plan for getting rid of the Jewish nation. And yet, all his plans are defeated by God's perfect timing. Now, I guess, if you're a bit like me and a bit cynical, you could say, well, it's just a bunch of uh, really lucky coincidences. The fact that Esther requested two feasts and she didn't talk to the king on the first feast, that the king had insomnia, that Mordecai undermined the plot to kill the king. I don't think that we can explain these all the way as lucky coincidences. I think they are God's perfect timing. So my next question for you this morning is, what are we waiting for? What are we prepared to wait for? And are we prepared to wait for God's perfect timing? The third thing was that God uses everyday people to carry out his plans. Mordecai and Esther were a very low social position. If they weren't slaves themselves, and certainly their parents or their grandparents would have been, they were exiles, they were refugees in a foreign land. At the start of the story, Esther is probably one of the most unlikely people to ever become the queen. And yet... The people that we look at or the world looks at and says they aren't good enough are exactly the people that God uses. And he uses them exactly for that very reason, so that he can position them exactly where he wants and carry out out his plans. The only qualification that Esther or Mordecai had to be in the king's palace was that they were obedient to God and willing to follow his will. Can anybody guess what my boxes are going to make yet? It's fairly obvious. 
So finally, the final thing that spoke to me was that God will rescue and save. At the time of Esther's story, it looked like a real possibility that the Jewish nation were going to be completely destroyed. At times, there looks very little hope for them. Once the king had sent out a decree, it couldn't be taken back, so Xerxes, Xerxes couldn't change his mind and go, oh, I don't want that to happen. It was that, once he'd said it, that was it. Now, there's a lot of bloodshed in the story of Esther that we haven't really gone into today, and that happened because King Xerxes was pretty, had a lot of pride, and he was really easily led by those around him. Like Xerxes, God's promises to us can't change. They are as they are. But unlike Xerxes, God's promises are always good. So when God promises to rescue his people and save them, that is what happens. God turned Haman's evil plot to destroy his people on its head and sent Esther into the thick of it, and she was ultimately willing to lose her life to see God's people rescued. Right, I think, I think I need some help here, actually. Come on, then. I'll have, I'll have the uh, three... Um, thank you, Stevenson's. That's the word I'm looking for. Three Stevenson boys, do you want to come up and see what you can make out of these boxes for me? So you need to go up in the air. So to conclude, I do believe that Esther's story is a shadow of God's ultimate rescue plan. Just as Esther was obedient to Mordecai, who was a father figure to her, and she was willing to face the death to save her people, 500 years later, Jesus was faced with a cross. And he also was obedient. But this time, he was obedient to God the Father. Well done, boys. It's beautiful. And as he was obedient to God the Father, as he died on the cross and rose, rose from the dead, he achieved God's ultimate rescue plan to save his people for all eternity. So just as Esther turned Haman's plan on its head, sin and death has been completely destroyed the day Jesus died and rose again on the cross. And that is the truth and the joy that we live in today. 